let down today. And I will have you turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And uh, we finally get to this chapter uh, that many have been waiting for, I think, for a while now. It's, it's a famous chapter, and, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, it's commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith, and what the author of Hebrews is going to do is, is uh, start naming a lot of Old Testament people and, and show us something about their faith. Uh, and they all have a little bit uh, of a twist on, on how their faith played out. Uh, it's a wonderful chapter. And uh, I just uh, I came across uh, one theologian uh, writing about this chapter, and I just loved how he wrote this. But he writes about chapter 11 in general uh, by writing this. This famous chapter is a sublime and lyrical encomium of faith and of the blessing which comes through trustful confidence in the promises of God and persevering obedience to his word. And uh, if we look at the context, if, if you remember uh, where we've been coming uh, in, in Hebrews here, uh, go back to verse uh, 35 even in chapter 10, uh, talking about not throwing away our confidence because of this great reward and, and endurance uh, so that we may receive uh, what God has promised. And, and he is uh, coming a little while and the coming one will come. And, and we are not those who shrink back but have faith and preserve their souls. And this whole thing is written to keep us from apostasy, to, uh, to keep us uh, in, in the faith, preserving our souls, faith for the future. And uh, as, as he writes this then, he gives us uh, a whole bunch of Old Testament examples of living uh, with faith, living in faith. And so uh, let me read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleaded, uh, pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and your truths. 
And as we look at this chapter and this passage of faith, we ask that you increase our faith and teach us your truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you think about faith, there's uh, actually a lot of uh, uh, talk about faith in the world. Uh, the, the world uh, likes the idea of faith, you know, and, and you can even, if you were to think of pop songs, uh, you know, there's songs that sing about faith for faith for faith, uh, you know, and, and uh, keeping the faith and, and that kind of thing. And, and the, the world loves the idea of faith. Now, they're not always that excited about Christian faith, but just this worldly idea of, of faith, which is kind of this dig in and, and look inside of yourself and, and, and visualize and have faith in yourself that you can do this. And, and you hear a lot of this at uh, things like graduations and, and, you know, look inside yourself. There's what you have to believe in. But our writer of Hebrews, as he writes about faith, uh, it's, it's something a little different. Um, he's talking about a specific uh, kind of faith, and, and he gives us a, a general definition of it right up front in the first couple of verses, actually. Uh, he's, he, he defines it, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and then he mentions uh, by it the people of old received their commendation, and uh, when you look at his definition, there's that word assurance in the ESV, the assurance of things hoped for, and that Greek word is, is hypostasis, and, and it's, it's a neat Greek word. It gets translated different ways uh, in Scripture, but it's this idea of, of the essence or, or substance, the foundation and, and, and guarantee uh, the writer also uses the word conviction. It's a different Greek word, but, but this conviction of, of things hoped for, things not seen. Uh, and, and what he's getting at, it, the, the bottom line is this faith where you know this is true. And that's not to say you won't have some questions along the way. You can go to the Psalms and see the psalmist crying out to God, I, I don't know why things are going, why they're going, and, and why is this happening? There are questions along the way, but still, even in the psalmist, you'll notice, he goes to God with his questions. I don't understand everything, but I know this. I know that God is there and I know that God is doing something and has this plan and then there's something I'm hoping for and, and I don't see yet, but I know it's going to happen. And, and we're going to get to these uh, Old Testament people of faith here, but I, I do want to spend a, a little more time on his idea of faith because we're going to notice a couple of points in this passage this morning. First of all, where our faith is grounded and it's grounded in God and we will see that it's not the worldly faith of look in dig down deep and, and look within yourself but rather this faith that says look to God look outside of yourself and look to Christ your faith is grounded in in Christ 
And also, uh, it's a faith that we're going to find that, that produces the right kind of action. And, and there is this temptation uh, outside of Christianity for sure, but even within Christianity, there's a, a temptation to misapply what faithful living or faithful action looks like. And in fact, Jesus was tempted with this. And in the temptations of Jesus, when, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, one of the temptations was this. He, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple, and there was a long drop-off, and Satan quoted Scripture and said, hey, you won't get hurt. God's going to save you. Go ahead and jump. Take a leap of faith. Little faith, Jesus. Let's see, let's see it here, because you won't get hurt. And... and when you think about it, if, if I was there, and, and I'm a sovereignty of God-believing, reformed, you know, predestination, Calvinist, I could stood right there and said, that's right, Jesus, if you're not supposed to die, you won't die. And if you're not supposed to live, you won't live. So it doesn't matter, jump. I mean, you could, you could go that far with it. But, of course, that's taking it too far. And, and we believe those things, that God is sovereign, that God calls us and saves us and will ultimately preserve us in Christ. But Jesus set things right. And he quoted Scripture rightly and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Jesus is saying, Faith isn't a license for reckless or irresponsible living. It's not a license to make up your own rules and say, well, God, you're going to do what you're going to do, so I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It is using your brain a little bit and thinking through who God is. Basically, it's submitting everything you do to God. And we're going to see this play out in this passage, this forward-looking faith. Uh, that preserves our souls, as I mentioned earlier. And in chapter 11, uh, it's basically a series of, of by faiths. You'll notice that if you read through the chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith. In fact, we get four of them in the passage I read this morning. Uh, in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, you'll notice those two words, by faith. And before we get to the Old Testament examples, notice this, he actually starts with us. He starts with the readers of the book. In verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And this is obvious. I mean when you think about it, who was there when God created everything? Well, God. And no one else. And so we take all of that on, on faith. And, and sometimes it's hard to even imagine that. Just imagine nothing. Nothing but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and not even a speck of dust. Nothing. And then God speaks and creation. And, and there it is. And it's that God who is bigger than creation, um, outside of creation, if, if you know what I mean by saying that, different 
uh, superior than anything in creation. And that's where our faith is. It's not in anything that's created, but in the God who just spoke and made all things. And the significance of this, uh, in addition to grounding our faith in God, is remember the context. He's talking about the reward, going back to chapter 10, the, the reward, the promise, and the return of Christ. And this God who created everything just by speaking it into being is the God who can recreate everything, including us. You know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, for the trumpet will sound and we will all be changed. We're not going to be miserable sinners forever. We will be changed. All of creation will be changed. It's not as though God is in heaven trying to figure out how he's going to do this, saying, well, there's a lot that needs to be changed, but he can do it. He, he spoke everything into being. If he can create it, he can certainly recreate it. And so we have this forward-looking faith, just like these people in the Old Testament. And, and we learn about their faith as our writer writes of them. And the first one is Abel in verse 4. Now many people know the story of Cain and Abel. It's in Genesis chapter 4. And I never really thought of it till this week. I'm sure I read it or heard it, but it didn't sink in until this week. But it's fitting that the very first human conflict, if you will, outside of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they were pointing their fingers at everybody about why they sinned. But, but that, that was in Genesis chapter 3. Then when you get to Genesis chapter 4, the very first conflict, if you will, involved a sacrifice and an acceptable sacrifice and I think that's really noteworthy because that is the one thing that every living human being that has ever lived has to get right a sacrifice that is acceptable to God it goes all the way back to that uh, to the first children there that first conflict between brothers and so it's the perfect example for the writer of Hebrews to use because this is what he's been establishing the whole time. We have the perfect sacrifice in Christ. And, and Abel, it says, offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And why was his more acceptable? Well, there's a couple of ideas out there. If you were to go back to Genesis 4 and read, uh, you'll see that one of the things is uh, Abel brought an animal, uh, there was blood spilled, whereas Cain brought crops. Was that it? Maybe. Um, also, it says in Genesis 4 that uh, Abel brought the firstborn, uh, and Cain brought, it just says, fruits of the ground. So it's as though uh, Abel brought the best and the firstborn, whereas Cain may have just grabbed what was on the shelf and, and brought it with him. And, and, and maybe that's it. You know, we, we don't know, but we... We don't know the entire backstory. We do know this, though, that God had told them what was going to be acceptable. God had laid it down for them. Maybe it was an animal. Maybe it, was, it had to be brought a certain way. Whatever it was, God had let them know. And Abel's faith 
was a faith that said, well, God, if that's what you demand, that's what I'm going to bring. And he brought that, whereas Cain said, you know what, God, I'll bring what I want. And it almost reminds you a little bit of, is he testing God? As Jesus mentioned, you shall not test the Lord your God. Is he testing God? Or is he trying to establish his own authority? Whatever it was, Cain said, you know, I'll bring what I want. Not what you're demanding. Now, when you think about it, Cain actually did show a little bit of faith in that. He brought something. It's not like he just said, no, God, I'm not going to bring anything. He brought something, but he tried to make up his own rules. And in the end, he gets upset, and, and God even told him, he said, now, if you bring an acceptable offering, that'll be good. But Cain got upset and ended up killing uh, Abel, who by faith had brought an acceptable sacrifice. And it says Abel still speaks, and there's uh, different uh, opinions of, of what that might mean. Uh, but I do like what Philip Hughes writes. Uh, we were not going to look at all the options. Uh, Hughes writes this, The simplest sense remains the best sense, namely that Abel, by his example of faith and righteousness, still speaks to us today, even though he has been so long dead. The spectacle of his trustful integrity, even in the face of violence, should inspire us to persevere and to overcome by the same means. Uh, his faith still speaks to us today. And this is really great news for us. And a, a wonderful example of, of his faith because God has told us what is required. Told us exactly what is required. The perfect sacrifice. And we have that in Christ. And unfortunately... There are still many Cains in the world who are going to try to bring something different to God. But may our faith be the faith of Abel to say, God, here's what you have required, and here it is, or better yet, here he is, our perfect sacrifice, Christ. And then the author moves to Enoch in verses 5 and 6. And Enoch may not be one of these guys you know too well. And to be honest, there's not a lot written about Enoch in Scripture. You find him in, in Genesis chapter 5. Uh, he's the father of Methuselah. And I mention that because I just like saying the name Methuselah. And uh, he's... And Methuselah, by the way, he lived 969 years, something like that, and, and actually was the grandfather of Noah, who we're going to get to here in a little bit. Um, but but it, here's what it says about Enoch, in, uh, that God took him. In fact, that's all it really says in Genesis chapter 5, uh, uh, 524 of Genesis. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Um, he's mentioned a handful of times, but usually in genealogy. So why is he a hero of, of faith? I mean, it's really cool that God took him, but what does that mean? Um, again, we get this idea that his faith is grounded in God. We see in verse 6, he believed that he, existed, or that he exists and that, that God rewards uh, those who seek him. 
But I also want to focus on this idea that he pleased God and he drew near. We get this relational aspect from uh, Enoch here. I almost get an image uh, in my mind of a guy who's praying a lot, who's drawing near to God, walking with God, and it's this idea that everything he did and everything he said, he submitted it to God's word knowing that God was right there. He's not sinless. It never says he's sinless, but that he had complete faith that God was there and would reward his righteous actions. And he didn't test God, didn't make up his own rules, didn't live recklessly. You do what, I know what you're going to do. You know what you're going to do, so I'll just do what I want and we'll meet at the end somehow. Uh, He just followed God, drawing near to God. And and it makes me think about submitting everything I do to God. Uh, One theologian uh, writes this, the drawing near to God of which this verse speaks should not be understood in the limited sense of drawing near only at times of worship, but in the comprehensive sense of drawing near to God at all times. And the author goes on, occupants as well as church, prosperity as well as adversity. Uh, This uninterrupted uh, communication with God. Now, not many of us are are tempted to murder like Cain was. That, That one's pretty much off the books for us, and we're all in agreement on that. Let's not murder anybody. But how about some of the other things in life? If I can use an oxymoron, one of those things we would describe as an innocent sin. And of course, there are no innocent sins. But those things that we kind of pass off a little bit. Let's use one like slander. And let's not even use the word slander. Let's just say talking about someone behind their back. What are you saying? What are you saying? And are you willing to submit that as though God is walking with you and you're saying those things? You know, maybe you're drawing near in repentance at that point, which I would hope, but but those types of things, everything you speak, the things you listen to, the things you put in front of your eyes, Knowing that God is right there with you all the time and willing to say, God, look what I'm looking at. Listen to what I'm saying. Enoch had that faith, knowing God was always with him. And he lived to please God by everything he said and everything he did. And that requires faith, as it says in verse 6. It's, it's impossible uh, to please God without faith. And, and there's that challenge in there of submitting everything to God. But I also want to point out the positive in this that Enoch knew. That God wants us to draw near. He wants us to be with him and to put everything in front of him. It's not as though God is saying, well, here comes Bruce again. Not only is he annoying, but he's really redundant. He's saying the same things all the time, but all right. But God wants us to draw near. 
and that pleases him. And he rewards those who draw near to him. And then our author turns to Noah in verse 7. Noah is a lot more famous. And his story actually begins in Genesis chapter 6. And, and we all, uh, almost all, know the story well. Noah and building this ark and, and uh, all the animals in the ark. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter calls Noah uh, a herald of righteousness. And we get that in other places in Scripture. In fact, it's kind of implied uh, in this as well as, as he's warning people as he builds the ark. He's building the ark and people are wondering, why are you building this boat? And he's telling them why he's building the boat and what God is going to do. And, and they will be condemned because they're not going to listen and, and uh, they do their own thing. But Noah builds this ark in, it's, my translation says, in reverent fear. And I love how the expositor's Greek Bible uh, defines that. Uh, not, not as a dread of catastrophe signified here, but a commendable caution springing from reverence to God's word. Uh, it, it's this, even in this, this reverent fear, uh, a hopeful fear, if I can use that term, a commendable caution as the Greek uh, expositor's Bible calls it. And when you think of what Noah is doing, this is incredible. He's building this boat that is going to be a, a, about a football field and a half long. And he's doing this without a shipbuilder's union or woodworker's union. He, he's doing it uh, himself and, and maybe a little family help there. It takes him many, many years to build this ark. And you would imagine uses up pretty much all of his resources. A lot of wood is going into this. It's, it's this huge task he's undertaken, but yet he undertakes it knowing that God's going to finish it somehow. He'll get it done because God told him uh, that he should be building this. Meanwhile, he can buy flood insurance really cheap because there's no water anywhere around him. And everyone's looking at him thinking, why are you building this boat? There's no water here. And if Noah's world is anything like our world, and I would argue that our world is actually a lot like Noah's world and, and as far as the people are concerned and how we think and, and process things, you can almost hear the statements that Noah uh, had to endure. People asking him, Noah, do you really think God is going to bring a flood here? Do you, do you really think he can bring a flood here? Come on, we haven't had a flood forever. It's not going to happen. Why don't you just give up the boat and live a little, Noah? You're putting all your time and energy and resources into this thing. And there might be some others, and, and they might be a little more well-meaning. Uh, and actually, I came across a, a phrase uh, this past week, and I wasn't studying this, I was reading something else, and a, a phrase I hadn't seen in years, but I thought of this, and the phrase was this, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And that's not always a bad phrase if, if used properly, but when it's misapplied, 
especially when it comes to salvation, it is a horrible phrase. Because when the door of the ark was shut, there was no open window there. God had told them what to do, and they didn't do it. But Noah did, even though it was a huge pro, uh, uh, project that he had, had to undertake. Even though the flood seemed a little unlikely, to be quite honest. But Noah had that faith in God that said, well, God said there was going to be a flood, so there's going to be a flood. And I'll build this ark, no matter what it takes. And notice the, the simultaneousness of judgment and salvation in the story of Noah. The saving of Noah's household and the condemnation of everybody else took place at the same time by the same means. What was the difference? Faith. Noah had faith, and he built the ark. He had the type of reverence that, that led him to change his whole life to, to live according to God's word, knowing that God was coming, either in judgment or salvation. And so we have these, these three uh, examples of faith in our passage here. And they all have their own unique twists. And I want to tie them together here in just this last couple of minutes. But I'm not going to tie them too tightly together. Because they all have their own thing to say. We have Noah willing to change his whole life because he is so convinced that God is, is coming. Coming with salvation or judgment depending on what he was going to do. And he lived his life saying, well... I'm going to live like this because I know he's coming. And, and how we can live our lives saying, we're going to live a certain way because we know Jesus is coming. And can we be the herald of righteousness that Noah was, willing to take on that big project because God says, I want you to. I'm coming. And I'll help you through this. So there's Noah. We have Enoch walking with God and, and drawing near. And as I talk to people, Enoch's the one that kind of resonates quite a bit. Because there's a lot of us that say, I wish I could submit more of my life to God. I wish even in those mundane things, I could live like I know God's listening, because He is. And He wants me to draw near. And am I drawing as close to God as I can, because that pleases Him. And then there's the faith of Abel. And this is the faith that, for a lot of us, starts it all. God said, what a perfect sacrifice would be. And Abel had the faith to say, well, that's what I'm going to bring. And God has told us what we need to bring as a sacrifice. And then he's provided it for us and we can come to God in Christ and say, here he is. Here is our sacrifice. I will bring that and nothing less like Abel did.
we see these men with their faith grounded in God, knowing that God is there and is going to do what He says and submitting everything to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for these examples of faith and the different things they teach us. We ask that you give us the faith to hold on to Christ so tightly, never letting him go, knowing that's what you have required, that perfect sacrifice, and that you have given him to us. Help us to walk in Christ. Help us to draw closer to you that we may live lives that are pleasing to you and help us to live knowing that you are coming again. And whatever that takes, however much time and whatever resources, whatever we have, help us to live willing to give it all up that we can meet you when you come, knowing that you're coming with either judgment or salvation. Help us to walk that we may hold on to our salvation in Christ. Give us that faith. Increase our faith. It's a wonderful chapter and wonderful examples. And we ask that we will grow in our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.